Well, we're going to carry on today with our series on finding victory in a failing world. And, uh, and so our subject that I want to talk to you today is how one man made a difference. And so uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 19. And I know we've been camping out in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19 for, uh, for a little bit. And by the time we get done with this series, and I'll be honest, I'm not exactly positive we're going to get it done by September. Uh, we may, it may bleed over into October just a little bit. Uh, so many, man, so many wonderful truths to learn from this passage. And so Genesis chapter 19, and when you find your place, I've got uh, uh, verse 27, but I'll tell you what let's do. Let's back it up a little bit. And let's start in verse number 17, Genesis 19 and verse 17. When you find your place, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Genesis, if you're able to stand, that is Genesis 19 and verse 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad. And in other words, the angels have just brought Lot and his wife and two daughters out of Sodom. That he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Now, we're going we're gonna to cover that. We're going to get by. I'm not going to stop there, but what, what a thought. As these angelic beings have just said, you better get out of Dodge. And Lot's response was, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed me unto, unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, although that's what you've told me to do. I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee into. I've got a better idea. And is a little one, oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Hasty, escape thither. For I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now we'll address that tonight on why Lot's wife looked back. Now notice the next few verses especially. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the plain, all the land of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. And so you may be seated this morning. And 
There may be a little speculation in what we're going to give you this morning, and, but I don't think much. And so I want to talk to you about that subject, how one man made a difference, how one man made a difference. And let's pray and we'll get right into the Bible study today. Father, we love you and thank you for the uh, opportunity to be back at Calvary again today. And we thank you for this fine crowd that has assembled on this uh, Sunday, September the 26, 2021. And Lord, this day could be the last day that we'll ever meet. Lord, it's very possible that the trumpet will sound before this day is done. It could be that the trumpet will sound before this service is done. And the Lord will return in the air and rapture his church away. Lord, there's not one thing that's keeping that from happening. And so, Lord, we're looking for that day. And I pray, personally, I pray that it would be that day. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I pray that everyone that's here today is ready for that day. We're ready to see the Lord. Father, I pray that you would knit our hearts together as a very close church family, as you have done so many times in the 30 years that I've been here. And I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that we would uh, learn <clears throat> something that would encourage us. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd get us ready for the message tonight. And I pray that you'd bless the live stream. And I pray that there'd be no glitches there. And I pray that it would stream and flow. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing to all those that are watching uh, from this uh, immediate area and then maybe uh, other states and maybe even other countries. And Father, I pray that it would minister to them. And so, Lord, help us now. We pray for your power. We pray for your touch and your blessing. And we need your help today, Lord. We really need your help today. We love you and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. And so we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lot and at least a part of his family were spared simply because of the actions of one man. We didn't read this today, but in Genesis chapter 18 is where we find that story. It's just one page back, so you can just flip a page back to Genesis 18 and look at verse number 20. And here Abraham is having uh, a conversation, uh, a time of communing with the Lord in verse number 20 of Genesis 18. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. By the way, I think we're gonna, we're gonna address that because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Ask a question, who was crying? Who was crying? And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Who was that cry? Where was that cry coming from that was coming up to the Lord that was telling the Lord that Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin is very grievous. Where was that cry coming from? So verse 21, the Bible says, and this is the Lord. The Lord said, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it. And I got another question for you. Why would the Lord have to go down and check that out? Does he not know everything? Hang on. We're going to get there. Oh, it's going to be good too. I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, the Lord said, I will know. That is amazing scripture there. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. We know, the Lord, we know the Lord stayed. We know those two men went. Verse 22 says, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near 
and said, and he sang this to the Lord, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, there's more to that story. We won't take the time to, to read that this morning, but we understand something. We understand that Lot and at least a part of his family, their lives were spared because of the efforts of one man, Uncle Abraham, because of what Abraham did, because of his nearness to the Lord and his intercessory work. And I honestly believe this, church, I believe had it not been for the intercession of Abraham, I don't believe Lot would have been spared. I believe that he and his family would have perished in the destruction. But, but listen to this. But I also submit this morning that an entire city was spared at least for a time because of the efforts of one man. We read this morning in Genesis chapter 19 that the angelic beings came to Lot and this is what they said. They had the message of the Lord and this is what they said. Escape for thy life. You better run while you can. That's what they're saying. You better run while you can. You, listen, God has given you a small window of opportunity and you better, you better take advantage of it. Escape for thy life. And then they said this, you better get to the mountain. And we notice here that, that Lot didn't want to escape to the mountain like he was told. So instead, he sought to escape into a little city called Zoar. Now, personally, I believe this. I believe that Zoar was eventually destroyed. I believe it was destroyed. But not until Lot left for the mountain. He eventually did the will of God, but he did it when he wanted to do it. That's a problem. It's not only important that you and I do the will of God, but it's important we do the will of God when God tells us to do the will of God. And, and so he eventually leaves Zoar and makes his way to the mountain. But I believe this, I believe that God, I believe that eventually, I believe that God, God destroyed Zoar. Now look, if you will, in Genesis 19 and verse number 20, Genesis 19, verse 20, the Bible says, behold, now this city is near, near to flee unto. This is Lot. And he says, uh, it's near to flee unto. And it's a little one. It's not like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not that, that many people. And he said, oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And, and my soul shall live. And he said unto him, talking about the angel, and he said unto him, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, Escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth. When Lot entered into Zoar, verse 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and, and, and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now look, look at verse 25. And he overthrew those cities. And I'm interested in this little phrase, and all the plain. Guess where Zoar was? In all the plain. And so I believe that eventually, I believe Zoar was destroyed just like Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says then he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him. She became a pillar of salt. And I know I'm rushing a little bit. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. There's that phrase again. And beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities 
of the plain. That God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Now, I believe this. I believe that, that God eventually rained fire and brimstone on Sodom, on, on Zoar as well. By the way, we didn't read this today, but, but if you read that scripture, you'll find out that a little bit later the Bible says that Lot feared to stay in Sodom or, or to stay in Zoar. And I believe that's because God's judgment finally came upon that little city as well. But we notice here that it wasn't destroyed until Lot made his way to the mountain. And it was all because of the intercession of one man, Abraham. Our Bible doesn't tell us that anybody else prayed. Now, it could be that Sarah prayed. It could be that some of Abraham's family prayed. I, I'm sure that maybe they did. I believe they, I believe they had family altars and, and it's very possible that they were concerned about Lot and his family as well and maybe they prayed. But as far as scripture's concerned, the only one that we know of that was interceding for Lot and his family was Abraham. And it's amazing in the church that one person's actions can change everything and even transform an entire city. Now, the Lord had already been dealing with my heart about this, and uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we had not been to Mount Airy in a long, long time, Mayberry. How many have ever been to Mayberry, went to visit Mayberry? And if, if you are a um, Andy Griffith fan, then man, you're just, you're, I mean, I, listen, I love you, man, I just love you. And if you're not an Andy Griffith fan, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the Lord would really work on your heart. And, uh, but we love Andy Griffith at our house. I have to have a Barney Fife fix almost every single day. And, and uh, there's not a whole lot you can watch anymore, but you can watch Andy Griffith. And, I, and, uh, and, and we've always been huge fans of Andy Griffith. And, and I know every single episode and I know exactly what they're gonna say and exactly what they're gonna do. But I laugh anyway. I laugh every single time. And it's just funny every single time. And so my wife and I decided to take off to, uh, to Mayberry, to Mount Airy. And we went up and we just walked, you know, walked the streets and we went to some of the little gift shops and, and things like that. And we walked by Snappy's Grill and, and we went over to the, uh, the uh, Andy Griffith Museum and we uh, looked at some of the memorabilia there. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was interesting. But as we were leaving, and I'll be honest, we went at a time, we went at a time when there wasn't a lot of tourists there. And, uh, and of course, COVID has cut down a lot of that too. And the streets were pretty, Bear and, and but as we were walking and, and just making our way around, and by the way, if you've been to Mount Air, you know what I'm talking about. It's not very big. It's just a tiny little, tiny little town, especially the downtown. It's just a tiny little town. And as we got in our car and we were leaving Mount Airy, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And I was already thinking about this message. And this is the thought I had. The truth is, Mount Airy wouldn't even be on the map if it wasn't for Andy Griffith. It wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't. There's nothing really special about, Andy, about, uh, about Mount Airy. You say, well, they have an ice cream shop. A lot of places have an ice cream shop. You say, well, they have some gift stores. A lot of places have gift stores. In fact, you can go some places that are not even close to Mount Airy and they have some Andy Griffith memorabilia. And, uh, and so it's not 
necessarily that there's anything really special about Mount Airy. It's just that that's where Andy Griffith is supposed to be from and that's where the story was supposed to unfold. And when they talk about Mount Pilot and Pilot Mount and, and uh, Fancy Gap and all these things. And, uh, and so uh, one man, I thought about that, one man put a little tiny town that's just one little tiny dot on the map. One man put that place on the map. That's often the case, isn't it? When you pull into a city, it's known for a certain person. By the way, sometimes it's very good and sometimes it's not so good. We had the opportunity, my wife and I had the opportunity to visit a place called Carmel, California. And, and it is a beautiful place. In fact, I was telling somebody yesterday, I said, Brother Mike, yesterday, that we went out to visit with the kids in July when we left North Carolina, it was hot and humid like it always is in North Carolina. And we flew to the West Coast and we drove with the kids to Carmel and it was freezing to death. In fact, we, listen, it was so, it was like 90s, 100s here. And when we left, she probably took a jacket because she takes a jacket everywhere she goes. But I, I didn't take a jacket. Why do you need a jacket in July? And we got to the West Coast, and friend, I'm telling you, the wind was blowing, and it was freezing to death out there. But we visited Carmel. You say, preacher, what's Carmel known for? Well, Carmel is known as the place where Dirty Harry was the mayor. Clint Eastwood, you know. Clint Eastwood was the, the mayor of Carmel. Again, my point being this, that one man, good or bad, one man sometimes has the, the opportunity to put a place on the map. You, can, uh, you can't hardly visit Orlando, Florida without seeing the mark of one man. Like him or lump him, Walt Disney has made his mark on Orlando, Florida. I mean, you can't go hardly a mile where you don't see some type of billboard or something that reminds you that this is the place where Walt Disney World is and it's everywhere, all over the place. And what's your point, Pastor? My point is, is that one man made a huge mark in an entire city. And I thought, Lord, if one man could be used to spare a family and if one man could be used to spare a city, I wonder if God could use one person at Calvary Baptist Church to make a huge difference. Maybe in a Sunday school class. Maybe in a ministry like the nursing home or the, or the prison ministry or the Good News Club. Or maybe God could use one person, one man, one lady to make a huge difference in the life of a child or to totally transform a family. Listen, have you ever wondered this, Calvary? Have you ever wondered this? this? God, is there any way... You could use me. Have you ever had that conversation? Well, I hope you've had that conversation. Lord, I mean, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you're using Dave Kistler. And he did use Dave Kistler. And I'm glad that you're using the Brown family. And, and I'm glad that you're using the Nun Sisters. And I'm glad that, that uh, you're using these different servants of God. But Lord, is there any chance, is there a remote chance that maybe, just maybe, that you could reach down your mighty hand? Is there a chance that maybe you could use me? You say, well, preacher, God would never use me. Let me tell you where that came from. It didn't come from God. 
I'll tell you where I, I know where it came from, though. It came from the devil. You see, the devil loves to come to people and say, you can never be used. Because of your past, because of the skeletons you have in the closet, because of the mistakes you've made. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, we've all made some. None of us have a stellar testimony. None of us are perfect. There's only one that's perfect, and his name starts with a J. And the devil comes to you and the devil says, you can never be used. You can never teach a Sunday school class. You can never preach behind the pulpit. You can never lead a song. You can never give a testimony. You can never preach in a prison ministry. You can never help reach the public school. You see, you can never be used. And I'm telling you, that is a lie straight out of the pit. There is a big almighty God that wants to reach way down and wants to put his power on you and his spirit in you and he wants to use little old you. You say, Pastor, I don't have any talent. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Well, I, I was having that conversation with somebody the other day. Uh, with a, I think with a preacher or something and I said, I don't know what happened when they were handing out all the gifts. I must have been absent that day. I mean, I can't play anything really. I, I just... Just seems like I don't have a lot of gifts like a lot of folks do. And you say, preacher, I, I'm not incredibly talented. I, uh, preacher, I'm, I, I'm not good at speaking to a crowd. I, I get my tongue tied and, and I, 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 I get a lisp and, and, and I get nervous and my palms get sweaty. Welcome to the crowd. I've been preaching in this church for 30 years and I get nervous every time. I ask Brother Brandon the same question every single Sunday. When we get ready to walk in, I'll say, are you ready? And he looks at me and goes, I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever asked that question? God, could you use me? You say, Pastor, but I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. You say, but pastor, I'm not a deacon. Thank God for our deacons, but you don't have to be a deacon. God wants to use you. Several, several weeks ago, my wife and I went to a conference and it was a conference called uh, Developing High Impact Communicators. And it was great. Chip Ingram was the uh, a keynote speaker and uh, Brother Ingram is all the way from the West Coast. He pastors in Venture, California and pastors a big, gigantic church in the Silicon Valley, which by the way, I guess is probably the most expensive place in America to live is the Silicon Valley. And he pastors a, a big metropolitan church there. I think they run at least 5,000 and, and uh, maybe more than that. And he came in that week and he taught uh, on being a high-impact communicator, and it was great. But I, and and, and I, I took a lot of notes. But let me tell you one of the things, let me tell you one of the things that I took away from the meeting, that this man, who, by the way, has been on the radio for years and years, Living on the Edge is the name of the, the, the radio broadcast. He's written numerous, numerous books, and, and he's well-known, not only in America, he's well-known all over the world. But one of the things that stood out to me about this Speaker was, this is what he said. He said, I didn't really come from a, a very religious family. And he said, when I was in, listen to this now. He said, when I was in college, he said, there was a man who spoke in my life. His name was Dave. 
And Chip Ingram spoke about Dave a lot that few days we were there. You see, Dave wasn't a preacher. In fact, Chip Ingram said Dave was pretty boring. He wasn't very eloquent. He wasn't very dynamic. You see, Dave was a bricklayer by trade and he laid brick during the day and then he had a ministry in the college by night. And so all day long, he would lay brick and then at night he would go over to the college and he would work with the college kids and, and, uh, and Chip Ingram said that Dave would take 10 minutes a day. Now church, don't miss this. He would take 10 minutes a day with him every single day, he would pour into him for 10 minutes a day just teaching him the Bible. And Chip Ingram said, Dave changed my life. One man, who, by the way, the world will probably never know other than what he talks about him. By the way, he, that's been many, many years ago. Chip Ingram's getting up there a little bit now himself. And, and, uh, and I think he said Dave was way up in his 80s, I think. And he said to this day, Dave's still at it. Still going. Still pouring into the lives of kids. Teaching them the word of God. Now you say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that one person can make a difference. One person. You say, well, I can get, if I can get the crowd to go with me, what if the crowd won't go with you? Teenager, you say, well, if I can just get 10 other young people, what if 10 other young people won't go? How about you? Will you be the one who steps out of the crowd and says, you know what? If no one follows me, I'm gonna serve Jesus. I'm gonna try to make a difference. I don't know what I can do. I'm not very gifted. God, you don't have very much to work with, but God, is there any chance that you could use me? And if you could use me, I'm gonna give myself to you. And oh God, I want you to use me to make a difference. And God can take one person and do something great with that one person. Sarah Edwards. You say, Pastor, who was Sarah Edwards? Sarah Edwards was a wife who was used of God to literally transform her family and really the entire world. Now, a lot of you have never heard of Sarah Edwards, but you've heard of Jonathan Edwards. That old Puritan preacher who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he just stood behind the pulpit and didn't preach it dynamic. He just stood behind the pulpit and read his sermon outline. But he read his sermon outline with such power that they said the congregants would hold on to the pillars of the church because they were afraid they were going to plunge into hell. And we've heard of Jonathan Edwards. But somebody said this about Sarah Edwards, his wife, that Jonathan was not the only one plugged into God. Sarah was a lady of great spirituality and very sensitive to the will of God. In fact, an article was put out, and this was the title of the article, How One Godly Mother Changed the World. Listen to this, church. Sarah's sanctification didn't happen in a vacuum. The Edwards' 11 children would have a front row seat to Sarah's spirituality and they were no doubt influenced by the godliness of their mother, but her influence didn't end at the front door. Considering that Sarah was a stay-at-home mom in a pre-internet age, her impact on the world is remarkable. In 1900, historian A.E. Winship traced Sarah and Jonathan's lineage 
and placed us and published a study. Listen to this. He said, quote, much of the capacity and talent, intelligence and character of the more than 1,400 of their descendants, much of that is due to Mrs. Edwards. Winship reported by the year 1900, their descendants included 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, and a dean of a law school. 30 judges, 66 physicians, and a dean of medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States of America, and a controller of the U.S. Treasury. And according to one biographer, get this now, the Edwards descendants also, quote, entered the ministry in platoons, and sent 100 missionaries overseas. Now you say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying there was a lady that had an impact on her family, which inevitably had an impact on the entire world. One person can make a difference. Now we're, our time, we took all of our time for the introduction. But I want to at least pay tribute to these points quickly. Which I'm thinking, how, what was it about Abraham though? What was it about Abraham that, that, that made him make such a difference? Can I give you a few of those attributes today about Abraham uh, that caused him to make a difference? Number one is the attribute of devotion. What do you mean, pastor? Abraham was faithful to meet with God. And hey, Calvary, can I ask a question? Are you faithful to meet with God on a regular basis? One common thread we see about Abraham is that Abraham had a serious devotion to God. Now, if you're in Genesis chapter 19, I want you to look at verse number 27. Genesis 19, verse 27. I'll do this quickly. Listen, we're going to be gone here in just a few minutes, and so don't worry about the time. I promise you we're not going to take a lot of time. But Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 27. The Bible says, And Abraham got up early in the morning, look at this, to the place where he stood before the Lord. Now that implies several things. Number one, he got up early. But number two, it implies that Abraham had a place where he regularly met with Jehovah God. And so he got up to that place and he met with the Lord. Look at Genesis 18. Skip back a page. Look at Genesis 18 and verse number 22. The Bible says, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. Look at this last part. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter 12. And look at verse number seven. Genesis 12, verse number seven. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Look at the very next verse, verse number eight. Look at the latter part of verse number eight. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Uh, turn over one page to Genesis chapter 13. And look at verse number 18. Genesis 13 and verse 18. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of memory, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and verse number nine. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number nine. 
The Bible says, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there. Now, again, I'm hurrying, church. I'm hurrying, but you hang in there with me because if you miss this right here, you're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss it. Did you know that Abraham was not satisfied with just a casual relationship with God? Now, I know we're living in that day today. Everybody wants everything casual. Everything's casual. We want a casual service. We want casual dress. We want to come at casual times. We want casual preaching. And maybe that's why we got so many casualties. Because we're so casual. You understand that Abraham was not satisfied with a casual relationship. Hey, Abraham, do you know Jehovah? Oh, yeah. I know of him. Oh, no. No, it was much deeper than that. You see, listen to this. Did you know that scripture, get this now, get this. Scripture is clear to tell us that it wasn't just Abraham that knew God. It was God that knew Abraham. Look in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 18, verse number 19. This is the Lord speaking. Genesis 18, verse 19. The Lord said, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. You know what God said? I know him. I know him. Hey, Calvary, can I ask you a question? Does he know you? Lord, have you ever heard of brother so-and-so? Oh, yes. I know him. I know him. We talk every day. We fellowship every day. He communes with me every day. He had two really heavy burdens today. Oh yeah, we talk on a regular basis. Abraham knew God and God knew Abraham, but it goes a step further than that. Did you know that our Bible tells us this? The Bible says that Abraham was the friend of God. James chapter two, you don't have to turn there. James chapter two, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called, talking about Abraham, and he was called the friend, the friend of God. Wow. Man. Wow. You don't have to say amen. I'll amen myself today. Man, you know what a blessing it would be if you went to God and said, hey God, do you know Stephen Pope? God said, oh yes, my friend. It's my friend. And he walks with me and he talks with me. He's my friend. You say, pastor, what, what, what are you preaching? I'm preaching devotion. Devotion. Those people who are devoted, those people are who are devoted to God, it's amazing how God seems to put his hand on them and he begins to use them. There's a difference. You say, Pastor, can you tell that difference? Oh, yes. It's why you can go to a church service. Now, don't take this wrong, folks. It's why you can go to a church service where there's a professional group singing and it's a, it's, it's a blessing. And they sing a song and everybody's like, amen. Amen. 
Amen. And then you go to a service where there's a non-professional singer singing. And it's like heaven falls. And people are coming to the altar. And folks are going for Kleenex boxes. And they're wiping tears. And folks are praying with one another. And folks are coming forward saying, I need to get saved. And somebody says, Pastor, what's the difference? One word. Devotion. One's plugged in. The other's not. Devotion. Billy Graham was in London, England. A place called Earl's Court. And they were having a Billy Graham crusade in London, England. Well, Billy Graham by that time had become very well known. And so uh, those, those uh, uh, British, the British press came in and they began to cover the, the crusade. And they were having great results. In fact, 40,000 made professions of faith during that crusade in London, England. And every night the altars would be filled. And so the press began to write in the newspapers We know what it is. We know what's causing these people to come to the altar. They sing this song at the end of the service called Just As I Am. And they sing it over and over and over. And you see what's happening is these people are getting so emotional that they're responding to the invitation. They started publishing that in the newspapers. And so Billy Graham came to Cliff Barrows and said, Cliff, tomorrow night, be ready to skip the song. And that night, as Billy Graham preached and he gave the invitation, he said this, we'll not have any music tonight. We'll not have any music. Do you need to come? And Cliff Barrows said that for just a, for just a few moments, it was awkward. Nobody really knew what to do. This was not like they'd normally done. and Nobody really not knew what to do. And then he said this. He said, all of a sudden, we heard the squeak of a seat. And he said, a sinner got up and walked the aisle. And then another, 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 and then another. Hey, Calvary, for the next 30 days, they didn't play an invitation song. And 40,000 people came to Christ. You say, Pastor, what's the, by the way, by the way, the, the press changed their tune and started printing this in the newspaper. Please bring the music back. The silence is killing us. You say, Pastor, what's the difference? One word, devotion. Now, we're out of time, and there's no way I can finish these other points. But I would just ask you this. Are you devoted? Do you have a devotion to Christ? Do you meet with him on a regular basis? If someone came to the Lord and said, hey, Lord, do you know so-and-so? Would the Lord say, oh, yes, I know him. Or would the Lord say, You know, he's not come to me yet. 
He he knows that he needs to be saved. And I've sent my Holy Spirit to work on his heart, but so far he hasn't let go. He's not given his heart to Christ yet. Do you know Christ? And does Christ know you? Father, we thank you for your blessings. And Lord, I wish I could have finished this, but that's all right. I believe you've done the work you need to do. Lord, what was it about Abraham's life? One man, one man you used to make a difference. Father, it had to be something. What was it? It was devotion. Devotion. Father, maybe there is someone here today and there's no devotion. They're not devoted to the cause of Christ. They're devoted to a lot of things, but they're not devoted to the Lord. And I'm praying that on September the 26th, 2021, I'm praying that's about to change. Lord, would maybe somebody run down to this altar today and just dive into this altar and say, oh God, I want to be devoted. God, I don't don't want to just know you, but I want you to know me. God, I want to have your power on my life. I want to be able to speak into someone else's life and have have an impact. Lord, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just a few questions. Number one is this. How many here today would say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. If you can honestly say that, you'd slip your hand up. I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Come on now. I want you to be real honest with me. I'm not going to come back and try to drag you down the aisle. God knows my heart. I just want to pray for you. Pastor, if I died right now, I am not sure of where I'd be. I don't know that I'd go to heaven. And I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up with every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip your hand up right now and let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? Right now, just slip it up. Pastor, remember me. Remember me. Pray for me. If I died... I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one anywhere? Come on. Anybody at all? As far as I know, I don't see a hand. So that means this. According to your testimony, everybody here today is born again. So this is my next question. Does he know you? Does he know you? Are you devoted to the cause of Christ? Are you walking with him? If not, I'm going to invite you. Many have already come. I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to be very bold. And in just a moment, I want you to make your way down to this old-fashioned altar. And I want you just to pray something like this. Lord, help me to be devoted. 
Father, help me in my walk with you. Help me to know you. And God, I want you to know me. Whatever you pray and however you pray, I want you to mean business with the Lord today. Would you stand all over the house this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It could be there's someone here today would say, Pastor, I am saved, but I need to rededicate my life to Christ. It's been a long time since I've been in the will of the Lord, and I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Listen, why don't you come? Pastor, I've been saved, but I've not followed in believer's baptism. I need to be baptized. I need to take that first step of obedience. I need to be baptized. I'm going to invite you to come. Pastor, we're not the member of a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And God's leading us to join. Whatever your decision, would you come while we wait? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask our personal workers if they'd make their way to the front. And there's going to be some, somebody here to pray with you and to pray for you if you need prayer. Many have come already, but maybe there's others right now that need to step out and come. We have somebody here that's, that's going to help you. It's what we're all about at Calvary. We want folks to leave being helped. We'll not make, we'll not make you give a speech, nothing like that. We don't even necessarily have to ask you why you're coming, but we want to pray for you. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're watching the live stream, we're thrilled to have you watching today. We want you to do us a favor. There's a number on the bottom of your screen. And if you're watching this broadcast and you don't know Christ as Savior, we have some wonderful people that are waiting by the phone and they want to talk with you right now about how you can know Christ as Savior. Would you call that number on the bottom of your screen, 704-327-5662. Would you call that number? We'd love to help you if you're watching the broadcast and you've got a heavy heart, a heavy burden. We'd love to pray with you today. Would you call that number on the bottom of your screen? Father, I'm thankful that you're working in hearts. Lord, here's a wonderful thing. I don't think this is going to happen, but Lord, just in case everybody walks out of here and their heart not being spoke to, mine sure got spoken to today. And Lord, I try to walk with you. But Lord, I realize sometimes how flimsy my Christian walk is. God, I need to do so much better. Father, I pray that you'll help me in my prayer life, my Bible study, my faithfulness. God, I want to know you, but I want you to know me. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in this invitation. Have your way. Speak to hearts, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. With heads bowed.